0: This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and a podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast. A podcast for those looking to change the world through education Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now here's your host, our dad, Ryan Scott. Hey, guys. So I got to tell you, my listeners, the reason I am using that opener is because I have three daughters at home that love to listen to YouTube. And I am sick of hearing YouTube videos that always start with, hey, guys. So anyway, hey, guys, this is Ryan Scott, the host of the Big Ed Idea podcast. I am so excited to get to talk to a fellow Hoosier and fellow Southern Indiana-er, if that's a word. Um, I am super excited to introduce everybody out there to the one and only Miss Kim Strobel. And let's see, I have got a bio that we are going to read of hers. Ms. Kim is an internationally known motivational speaker for educators, school leaders, and organizations, and travels the globe sharing the impact of happiness, love that, on well-being and student achievement. She was a former teacher and curriculum director. Now her goal is to inspire you by providing thought-provoking research, heartwarming stories, and simple action steps that get you life-changing results. And she's also an avid animal rescuer. She's got to have a huge house because she's rescued 171 dogs. She is a fierce runner and she is a lover of life. So, Miss Kim, welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast.
1: Oh, thank you, Ryan. I'm I'm really happy to be here with a fellow uh, Southern Indiana-er. That's right. Um...
0: <laughs> so, I've got to tell you, Kim, um, and I've got to tell you, listeners, we spent... Uh, 15 minutes chatting before we even hit the record button. So I am pretty sure uh, I'm not a gambling man, but if I were, I was to I would bet that this is going to be a pretty kick-ass podcast. So, Miss um, Kim, I just want to welcome you. Thank you for uh, sitting down with us today.
1: Yeah, it's it's my honor, really. I love to to be able to talk with fellow educators and you know just do real authentic conversation Absolutely. talk about things that maybe nobody else is talking about sometimes right. you know
0: that's right that's right yeah you and i talked um you know sometimes i think educators and i i fell into this for a long time like uh, we 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 think an educator has to fit this certain mold right um and i think uh definitely you and me um want to blow that mold up Um, so I'm super, like, this is one of the questions I've been dwelling on because you were in the classroom for a while and then you made that jump. Um, tell us, okay, how
1: and why did you make that jump out of the classroom? Oh, it was such a big jump. Um, you know, I felt like I had worked so hard to get my college degree because I went to college for a year and then I quit because I had, um, I didn't know at the time what it was, but I had a a debilitating anxiety disorder. I had panic disorder. And um, so then I went to work as a secretary um, for a few years and I had a really great boss that allowed me to wake up or allowed me to come to work at like 4 a.m. every morning so that I could get my hours in. And then I drove back and forth to USI three days a week from like noon to midnight to get my college degree and so when I finally did get the teaching job I just was so thankful I just loved it so much and felt like this is my zone this is where I'm supposed to be but I do think that there's some strong leadership type of tendencies inside of me and um, I I always laugh because sometimes when women like it feels like men are allowed to be leaders but when women are they're called aggressive or intimidating you know
0: yeah, I, know. I
1: know. And um, but I just kept—I was just always that teacher who wanted more. And so, um, I chose to step out of the classroom and go into a literacy coordinator's job because I was passionate about literacy. And I remember thinking, when you step out of the classroom, the chances of me ever being within those four walls of the classroom again and walking kids through 180 days a year of school was probably never going to happen and that really was a struggle to let go of that for me yeah and so then um, I did the literacy coordinator's job for a few uh, years and then I actually had been going to some professional development workshops and there was just something inside of me when I would watch the presenter and I would just think gosh I want to do that someday I mean I have no idea how or where I would even be given the opportunity Um, but I actually joined I I uh, reached out to a consulting company here in Indiana. I pitched myself. um I had done a two or three like small, you know on my own and um they hired me. and honestly, it was a year of like pure hell for me because um I was working eighty hour work weeks. Uh, like it it just um my values didn't line up to their values, so to speak. And so here I had now given up this really stable job as a literacy coordinator in order to um, become a uh, professional development trainer, and so I remember I made it till like I started in June, and finally in February I I just told him I said this is just not the job for me. I'll finish my contracts out till the end of May. I can't do this. You know I'm sitting at the in the bleachers at the at, at my son's basketball game on a Saturday night, and I'm working. You know it was it, I just couldn't keep up with it. It was insane. And um, I remember in May, I walked away from my last gig for this consulting company at some schools, Mitchell, Indiana, and you always had to give the evaluations. And the, um, like one particular evaluation said, it's not such and such that we love talking about this company. It's Kim Strobel that we love. And so I thought, well, maybe I'm not a failure at this. Like maybe I'm, maybe I am good at this which I thought I was good because I had great feedback but you know when you are like in this spot where it's just not working out for other reasons you start to really second guess yourself and so there was just something about that that like planted a tiny seed and then I went to work as a curriculum director for two and a half years because I did have a non-compete clause. And Ryan, I just could not let go of this idea that I wanted to empower teachers. And so I took this giant, scary leap of faith. And in January 2016, I started Strobel Education. And I always say my husband always has supported me. He's always stood behind me. And the poor man was about to stroke out thinking that I was giving up this stable, you know, uh, curriculum director's job, good insurance at the time, a steady paycheck. And um, I just could not not do it.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. I absolutely know what it's like um, to feel that tug on your heart. Um, they know somebody, something in your mind, something in your ear is saying, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then it gets louder and louder and louder. And before you know it, you're like, OK, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. Um, I've done that multiple times in my life. Um, so, yeah, I love that. I love your story. I love that you followed your dreams. Um, and I got to say, I've got to tell you, I just read uh, an article and I posted it to our Men in Ed Facebook group about why imposter syndrome is actually a good thing. Um, and I am someone that very much struggles with that imposter syndrome. So I love, I, I appreciate you being vulnerable enough to say that you, you know, struggled with that anxiety thing. So kudos to you for fighting through that imposter syndrome and just freaking doing it. Um, bravo to you, but. Um, you know, I want to get us into this content stuff because I'm excited to talk about your idea, but, you know, as my listeners know, look, you can't content before you connect. And so while we know a little bit about who this Kim lady is, um, I want to know, and my listeners want to know, can you give us three words that describe what's up at the Strobel house?
1: Yes. Okay. Uh the big word right now at the Strobel House is Cabo, because my husband and I Ooh. leave next Friday Lucky. for eight nights in an all-inclusive resort. We're empty nesters, so uh, we are very much <laughs> no. I, I I hesitate to say that to a dad of four kids, three being fairly young yet, but yeah, it's, it's true. Very- <laughs> and then um, dog rescuer. I mean, I'm just, if I need a second job, it's that I am the dog rescuer of the southern part of the state. So this <laughs> week, Yeah, this week I I have, um, so they don't all come live with me, thankfully, but I do use my social platform. So we have been able to place two, new, yeah. two dogs this week. Um, and then my third word would be um, sugar cookies. My mom made me Valentine's sugar cookies because they're my favorite thing that okay. she makes. And I've just been eating them like crazy. So, are
0: there any left?
1: There's there just a few. <laughs> I'm real stitchy. I hide them from my husband and everything. So, okay.
0: okay. Yeah. Yeah. My wife knows um, during Christmas, my thing are those Springerly cookies. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's because of the German heritage of Southern Indiana. Like, yes. You know I love them, uh, and I love black licorice, and that that could be, could be because of the Jägermeister also. But we're not going to say that it's because of the of the whatever. Anyway, okay. So those are your three words. Um, my word actually is kind of related to one of yours. My word is sand cave, because one of the things that I love the most, um, and the, one of the things I love my wife about the most is she lets me go into the woods by myself for days at a time Um, and I know she worries about me but me and my dog Houston who is a Australian Shepherd are gonna go let's see this coming Saturday and Sunday to southern Illinois we're gonna do a 23 mile loop and we're gonna stay in Sand Cave which is the largest sandstone cave in North America but the history nerd in me it was a stop on the underground railroad so yeah there are actually like carvings in the back of the cave that uh date back to around the civil war of uh the escaped slaves as they were on their way up to north uh up to canada so that's my word um, oh, will you?
1: Stay, i gotta ask you will you like maybe be the only person staying in the cave that night and you're hopefully you're, you can do that you're good. oh yeah
0: oh yeah Oh yeah. Um, the end of next month, I'm doing a four day 60 mile by myself and my dog. Um, I've been doing this trail called the river to river trail, which runs from the Ohio river to the Mississippi river. Um, I started it for my 40th birthday during COVID. I had three goals that year. Um, one was to do a 40 mile hike, which I did. One was to start a podcast, which I did and one was to get a book published, and I'm working on that. So, bravo to to turning 40. Yes, that's right.
1: That's really cool.
0: Okay, so now I've got two getting to know you questions to get a little bit deeper in who this Kim lady is, and so um, for our listeners, if you don't know, Kim is in southern Indiana, um, right on the Ohio River. So, Kim, if I were to fill up your car with one tank of gas and you were starting from your house, where would you go on one tank of gas? Where would you take me? Now, to be fair, you might have a Prius that gets like 7,000 miles per gallon, or you might have like a a Harley edition Ford F750 that gets like two miles a gallon. I don't know. But where would we go and what would we do?
1: Well, I am a fellow nature lover as well. Okay. And I love to hike. And I would take you just 20 minutes away to Indian Salina Lake. You maybe have hiked it. No. And it Oh, down. you haven't. Oh, so there's Tip Saw and then there's Indian Salina right after that. And that's a good probably 10 to 12 mile hike. Okay. It goes around two really big lakes and it's very beautiful. So if we had... Four or five hours, we would drive out there, and we would just be in nature because Sweet. it fills my soul too.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. It keeps me grounded.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm um, very yeah. It brings my you know I just feel really connected to things when I'm in nature, and I need to do more of that. Working on it, so you've inspired me.
0: Okay, yeah, and you know, um, I, you know, I say this because I'm all about being vulnerable. I think we don't do it enough with each other. I, my senior year of high school, I was extremely depressed. Um, and I remember every day after school, I would go to this state park, which is called Lincoln State Park. And every day after school, I would sit on this rock overlooking the lake and write poetry. Um, and it was like the thing that grounded me, kept me going. Yeah, there's something about there's something about nature. So,
1: okay. Um,
0: okay, I know you're a reader, or maybe you're a reader. Are you a reader?
1: A big reader.
0: Okay, I see books behind you, but. Um, <laughs> so often, and, and, and I'm speaking to myself, I get pigeonholed in education books, um, but I want to ask you, what is a non non-edu- what non-education book influenced you the most to become who you are now?
1: Oh my goodness. There's such a long list, but I'm going to pick one. I'm turning around right now to look at all the ones I have to pick from. Um, hmm. You know, I mean, I'm a really big Brene Brown fan, too. And you see all of her books on my bookshelf. Yeah, And Daring Greatly was... And just the very first page where she has the Theodore of Roosevelt quote. In the arena. Yeah. Because I feel like I have been knocked around. I've been knocked around by people. I've been knocked around by my own limitations, things I've done to myself. Like I've got the blood and the dirt and the muck, but a lot of it was thrown onto me and I absorbed it. And so for me to read her book and know that I have the permission to be myself and to encompass all of my greatness and my light while acknowledging my pain along the way. I just felt like that book just really set me on fire,
0: yeah. And you know what i what I love about Brene is she's just real. Um,
1: mm-hmm. You know I love, it. I love that she cusses too
0: I mean come on. most of us do most of us do so here's what i need to here's what i need for my listeners for all of you thousand listeners out there um if any of you have a connection to brene like like i'm talking like a personal email like hook me and kim up because we want to be on a podcast with brene um i i'll be honest i if i was to have a school um read one book I would probably have my book have my my teachers read dare um, dare to lead Dare to lead. I would have them read that and and honestly, I would love it if she would come and teach us. Um, so yeah, if anybody out there's got that line, please come on, hook a brother up. <laughs> so Kim, what questions might you have for me?
1: Well, okay, I want to know what a current, challenges in your life right now. Ooh,
0: okay. So do you want uh deep or surface? And look, I'm good with either.
1: I like deep.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, all right. We're going to get real. Um so yeah, so I'm 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 really I'm I'm in a challenging role right now. I'm uh I'm a dean at an alternative uh middle school and I'm a firm believer in trauma Um, I'm a firm believer in trauma-informed care. Um, I'm a firm believer that there are no bad kids. I'm a firm believer that kids do the best they can with the skills they have. And I'm a firm believer that if um, you put all kids that have been expelled out of buildings into one one building, um, it's not the academics that they need. It's the behavior that they need. It's the skills that they need. Um, I'm a big believer in hope theory, and that's what my book is actually about, um, that we can actually teach hope to students. Um, I think learned helplessness or learned hopelessness is the silent epidemic that we don't talk about in schools. Um, And I believe that the achievement gap will never, ever, ever be closed unless we close this motivation gap. Um, And so what I'm really struggling with is that I have expelled a lot of kids this year, cannot even count on two hands, the number of kids that I've expelled um, in about three months. And so, and it breaks my heart um, because these are kids. I mean, if you, if anybody takes five minutes to talk to these kids, um, you will realize they're doing the best they can. Um, they're coming from environments where this is normal. Um, they don't know how to to regulate their stress load. Um, they don't know how to do what we're asking them to do. And and to just ask kids to be compliant. Um, I think I'm trying to remember the author. It might have been Daniel Pink. It might have been oh uh, no, it was a uh, Lori DeSottle's. Um, I believe in her newest book about connections before compliance. Compliance worked in the 20th century when all we needed were factory workers. Um, But we need people now that can do creative thinking and and that kind of stuff. And so compliance is not what we need anymore. We need a motivated learner. And I just feel like um, there's better ways. And so I'm really challenging, really challenged internally when I go to school every day and I know that I'm putting these kids on the street, so to speak. So,
1: yeah, that is really, that's heavy. It's heavy because I applaud that you can see beyond the behavior, you know, and it's because you've educated yourself. That's the only reason you can do that. It's so easy to do what we've always known, you know, before us, but when we understand how the trauma affects the brain and that they do not have access to the resources mentally, emotionally, physically, that a, a, a so-called, you know, normal, for lack of better word, person does, then that changes the whole game. And so that is a heaviness, I think, that many people in education feel. Not all, but many of us carry the weight of that with us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I tell my kids, and they're my kids. And I tell them, even if I expel you, you're still my kid. You know, yes. um, I tell them every day, life is the hardest thing you ever have to do. And if anybody tells you different, they're on drugs or they're an idiot. Um, yep. So yeah, that's that.
1: Okay, well, my second one is, is lighter and- Thank you. Shorter. <laughs> yeah. And I want to know, what is a moment in the last week if you've had one where you felt it could have been for three seconds or three minutes, but where you felt immense joy.
0: Where I felt immense joy. So I'm, I'm going to be honest. It, I am. So I'm one of these guys. Um, I spent my early, well, most of my twenties, um, teens, um, how do I say this? Chasing happiness um, in substances and relationships and other things. Uh, never sat still. Um, and now, maybe it's because I'm 40 now, like there is nothing better to me than a Friday night sitting at home with my daughter in my lap, one of my daughters in my lap, cuddling up, eating pizza, watching a a stupid girly movie because you know with four gir- five girls all we freaking ever watch are disney or some type of girly movie i mean i don't know how many times i've seen pretty in pink but um yeah so immense joy to me is being with my girls um and, and again i'm i'm going to be vulnerable my oldest 19 madison she was the one i call her, her my happy accident Um, she was the one that taught me life is all, not all about me. Um, I could have did better with her. So I feel like I'm kind of doing better with my younger three, if that makes sense.
1: Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's joy. It is. I, I, I can feel that. I I don't get to feel that with, you know, a 22 year
0: old.
1: Um, Feel joy, but like, he's not on my lap and I don't feel his cheek next to my cheek. And so I can imagine how wonderful that feels.
0: Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that's my joy. Um, Kim, I just want to tell you uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for for being vulnerable with us and and letting us know who um, Kim is outside of the education world, because now we know your heart and now we know who you are. And to be honest, now we can jump into this education stuff. Um, So my first question to you, if you could give us uh, maybe mm, two, three sentences, what do you feel is your purpose in education?
1: I think that my purpose in education is that I don't want there to be one child who leaves a classroom, who does not feel like they're a valuable human being and that they don't have something to contribute.
0: Imagine if that, imagine if that was on every stinking mission statement of every school across the United States.
1: Yeah. I mean, I see it happen too many times and you know, the system tells them they're not smart. The all, all, and I just, that's actually one of my whys behind struggle education is I want us to reimagine an education system where every single child knows they matter.
0: Oh yeah. My three words. Um, and actually when I was, so I started this year as the principal at the alternative high school. Um, and my three words that I put on everything at the beginning of the year was valued, seen, and heard. I didn't want anything, nothing else. Everything would come from the that statement. If we did that first, I freaking promise outcomes would change. Um, so yeah, I, I totally get that. Um, okay. So Kim, I'm, 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 I'm sweating over here because I'm waiting to hear what is your big ed idea? Drop it.
1: Well, I I think that, you know, it's so multifaceted as you heard about, you know, um, what I believe I want for students, but for students and for teachers, yeah. I really want teachers to be able to reclaim their lives as educators, but also outside of the yeah. education world you know i feel like this is just a gargantuan system that just kind of keeps taking parts of us away from ourselves and away from our families away from our well-being away from our happiness away from things that we enjoy and we're so sucked down this that we don't even we don't even know how to get out and so i really want teachers to reclaim their joy within Ooh. the profession, but also outside of the profession. And I want them to know that they have the permission to do that.
0: Oh, gosh. And that's something that, I mean, that's everywhere, right? Like teacher attrition, people dropping out left and right. Um, yeah, I think it's, and, you know, and, and here I am, I'm one that that believes that, that, that truly schools should be picking up the pieces that society's not giving our kids. But that's such a gargantuan task. And I know it's such a gargantuan task, especially because um, our kids are hurting. Our people are hurting. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and by nature, our teachers are lovers. Our teachers are problem solvers. Our teachers are, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I get called, you know, I, I see the world through rosy colored glasses sometimes. And so I feel like I can fix everybody. And, and, and there's moments where I'm like, oh, I can't fix them. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean,
1: you know, my, my dear friend, who's the principal of an elementary school, she, you know, she called me today and she is a workhorse. She's pulling, you know, 12 to 16 hour days right now. And she said, Kim, it there's, it's just so much. And I don't even know That there's one thing I could let drop because if I let this drop, then this student suffers or this teacher suffers. And so, you know, just listening to her talk about the incredible stress load, and she's one of the most resilient people I know, but that that is it's almost like there's no breathing room and we we have to talk about this i i can't do sunshine butterflies unicorns and sprinkles like we got to talk about the hard stuff and we have to be real about the hard stuff i'm just not here to to blow smoke like yeah this reality but now let me also plant some seeds of hope because part of this is under our control we can reclaim our power we just need somebody to show us where to begin
0: absolutely, absolutely and 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 I'll tell you before we get into those three things that that uh, listeners can do tomorrow to reclaim that joy, um, yeah, I've got to say, um, teachers are struggling, um, our kids are struggling, um, our people are struggling. Um, you know i'm I'm a firm believer you can't have a thriving community without a thriving school system. and so I mean, it's in everybody's best interest to be doing what we can to help these educators. Um, And it's not piling more onto them. Um, It's not asking them to do more. Um, So, okay, let's get, let's go there. Let's go there. I think it's time. Give us three things that you feel like educators that are listening to this podcast um, that may be struggling to, you know, the joy is, you know, um, sitting down one-on-one with a kid is always wonderful. But maybe they're bringing some junk with them home. Um, You know, maybe they're struggling uh, with their own stress load. Um, So, okay. What are three things that my listeners can do starting tomorrow to increase or reclaim their joy?
1: Their joy and happiness. So here's the deal. I think joy and happiness are very different, but I myself am struggling to discern between the two like it's like a research project for me to try to understand so before i jump into that i want to kind of give the happiness research just because i feel like lay that foundation then they're going to know which part i'm working on and so what we know is that every single person has what we call a set baseline happiness level so maybe my set baseline happiness level is here and ryan maybe yours is a little bit higher and what this means is that some good things happen to us. Like maybe you and I uh, get a new house or we get married or we get a new job. We make more money. Our kid gets into the school they've been wanting to get into. Whatever it is, good things happen. And our happiness level does rise for a period of time. It might rise for two hours or two months or two years. But what we know is that it always goes back to baseline. Okay. And we, you know like i said it might go back in 2 hours or 2 weeks but it always returns to baseline now what's really interesting is the same is true for when we endure hard things uh-huh. the brain research is really strong and it says look human beings can endure tragedy trauma illness death loss adversities injustices they can endure hard things but for almost every human the brain has the ability to reset back to baseline.
0: Yep, get back to equilibrium.
1: Yes, and I know it's hard to wrap our head around, but the research is very strong about this. And so then people say, well, Kim, how do I know my baseline and why is your baseline different than Ryan's and so forth? And so I tell people to picture their happiness as a pie chart. And what we know is that 50% of your long-term happiness is genetic it comes from your mom, your dad or a mixture of both. And Ryan, when I am like on a stage and there's 5000 people in the crowd and I drop that, yeah. That yeah. mic drop, 80% of people like hang their heads and they think, Uh-oh. "I'm so Uh-oh. screwed." Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We laugh. It's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so screwed." But there's just a genetic tendency to how our brains are wired. Okay. Now, what's interesting is that only about 10% of our long-term happiness comes from our external circumstances. You know, external circumstances could be things trauma. that you yeah, trauma, things that you've endured in your life. It can be what kind of car you drive, what kind of home you live in, are you married, single, divorced, widowed, do you have kids, do you not have kids? We can take every external circumstance that a person has had. We can throw it all together and over long-term happiness over a lifetime, it only accounts for 10%. The issue is, is that we let it steal way more than 10%. Yeah. And you know what, Ryan? There are some things that happen to us that it should steal more than 10%. But the issue is, is when you're two years or, you know, whatever it is, two months, whatever, and you're still letting that thing, like you and I talked a little bit before, you had a really rough day Yeah. and you have a right to feel that. But if like two weeks later, you're still whining about that, Ryan, I'm going to be like, huh? That's on you. Like, yes. you got to get yourself out of victim mode and over to warrior mode. And I'm totally guilty of it too. Yeah. But it's so interesting because we think life circumstances are the things that's, that steal all of our happiness at times. Hmm. Yeah. I, I,
0: so, okay. Okay. I, I love it, that. I,
1: well, I think for, for, For all of us, you know, I always tell people like you have to take 100% responsibility for your life. So, like, if my husband leaves me tomorrow, I will be devastated for a while. But if I'm still ticked and bitter and devastated, you know, two years from now, then I'm over there in victim mode. Poor me! I can't get my life together. My husband left me. You know what? And and so at some point in every situation, you had to do it with substance abuse. I've had to do it with my panic disorder and 72 other things that I felt like (laughs) were hard in my life. But at some point I had to go, look, you, your power only lies with you. That is the only power Kim Strobel has. And that power lies with me making choices about how I want to feel in my life. And if I'm going to let this person who did me wrong for years and years and years, am I going to continue to hold the bitterness and resentment? And let me tell you, Ryan, I held on to it for a long time. Okay, so I'm not pretending I'm perfect at this, but it does make us kind of reevaluate. Wow, where is my personal responsibility in this particular circumstance? Hmm. Okay, so you're. I'm not writing able- all of
0: this down. So keep I on know, going, it's, sister. It's
1: good stuff. So uh, 50% is genetic, 10% is your external circumstances. That leaves 40% of the pie. And here's what I love, Ryan. Every single person has the ability to increase their happiness levels by up to 40%. And it has to do with these three things. One, the thoughts that you consistently think. Two, the behaviors that you engage in. And three, the actions that you're taking. Thoughts, behaviors, and actions. And so what I know is that when we do a lot of employee well-being and and employee happiness, because we know that when we put an employee's happiness first, we change every single outcome in their life. They are, yeah, they're 31% more productive. They're 10 times more engaged in their job. They're three times more creative. This is why it's not enough to say, oh, you know, yes, employee well." No, we got to give yeah, teachers yeah. the tools on a consistent basis so they can start to get out of all of this heaviness and truly be able to reclaim their life again. And so, you know, when we concentrate on those actions, thoughts, and behaviors, that's when we start to see everything shift for a person in their career, as well as you know, in, in their marriage and their hobby and their spirituality and their fitness and their health, it shifts every single lever.
0: Oh, man. So, yeah, I, I love that because this is stuff that we, that I like to talk about. And I, this is stuff that I love to think about. Um, like we talked about life is the hardest thing you ever have to do. Um, and I think a lot of our kids and maybe even some adults fall into this, fall into this chasm where they're stuck and they don't know how to get out of it. Does that make sense?
1: You know, I think, okay, and I want to go on and say this too. I'm not talking about like if you have a mental health problem, depression, anxiety, I'm not saying, oh, well, just, you know, that's only going to be 10%. Obviously, we're not talking about those types of things when we're talking about this research, but I just did an interview with Jethro Jones. I don't know if you know him. Um, I think it's the resilience podcast. And he lives in Spokane, Washington, where they take in um, South Africans who have been through war, who have been shot at, who have had extreme poverty. And he said, Kim, they've been over here. And within months, they are the happiest people even though they've endured the unimaginable. And so we see evidence of this all around us.
0: Yeah, so if it's working with like literally people coming from horrific environments and it works for them, why are we not employing this same type of stuff in our, and and I know this is an education, so obviously in our school systems, why are we not employing it? Um, like you said, focus on the happiness and everything else will come. And yeah, I agree. I mean,
1: when I was a fourth grade teacher, you know, I felt so stressed about the academic. You were? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I got to get through those standards. I got to get through the history book. We got to be halfway through it by Christmas. And you know, I finally just, that wasn't aligned with my heart. And I thought, what's the one thing you want, Kim, when these kids walk out this door? Well, one, you want them to feel valued. But I also always said, you know what? When when you walk out this door, I want you to be good at life. Yes. Not just good at school, but more than that, I want you to be good at life.
0: Yes. Yeah. Because there's nothing better than going, and I'm going to use this, you go into Walmart. You see a kid you've had 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and they're walking with their kids. You can see they're happy. You can see they're having a... It doesn't matter what you taught them in fourth grade. You're just super happy that they are a productive citizen, if that makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely, yes. Awesome. Okay. So, okay. I'm going to go further, if you're okay,
1: mm-hmm. and then
0: I'm going to start us to wind down. Okay, okay, so you you said... Um, all of us can increase our happiness by 40% by focusing on our thoughts, behaviors, and actions. Okay, give me one of like one actionable thing on each of those if you can. So like thoughts, like- um, Okay,
1: so they all, I can't really separate them by that. Because yeah, no, it's good. Intermingle. So let me, and I'm going to do this really fast for you because I know we're on time. Okay, so here's one of the things you can do. One of the top five happiness habits- is a daily gratitude practice. This is not mind-blowing. We've all heard this. Oprah preached it to me for 15 years, and I still didn't. And I finally started doing it. And here's why it works. Because in order for your listeners to do this, I think they have to, be, they have to know the why. I had to know the why. So here's what we know. If I can get you to write down three different things that you're thankful for every single day, After 21 days, we create a new neural feedback loop in your brain, and your brain begins to pick out more good than bad throughout the day. Now, why is this? Well, the research says if you're an average human being, you have about 70,000 thoughts a day. If you're an average human being, 80% of those thoughts are negative. Uh Which Probably. means when you and I put our head down on the pillow at night, most of us have had 56,000 negative thoughts. Jesus. And the thing is, is that of the 80% of thoughts that are negative, 95% of the 80 are the exact same thoughts you had the day before. They're on these running tapes. And this is because you you will know this. We all have the amygdala. And thousands of years ago, the amygdala is the part of the brain that looked for predators that scanned for danger and it kept us safe. It's 2023. We still have an amygdala and its number one job is to still scan for negativity and danger. So when we write down three different things, it's a two minute practice that I will tell you changes people's lives. And I, I don't want you to write three general things. I tell people to be specific. Like, don't just say, Oh, I'm thankful for my family. No, I want you to say, I'm thankful that every Thursday night, my mom and dad and my husband and I go out on a pizza date. Don't say, Oh, I'm thankful for my health. Say, I'm so thankful that your body today allowed you to run 10 miles, Kim. We want to be specific. And I actually can give you a link. I have a gratitude prompt and tracker on my website that your people can access and it gives them, and I did this with my students. So you can use it with your students too, you know, but it gives five prompts for where to look for gratitude in your life. And then there is a tracker if you want to use it, but I would just use a spiral notebook or something Hmm. that is amazing what it does for a person.
0: And and look, I can speak from experience. Winter, especially like mm, October, November, December, are hard for me um, because of the lack of sunlight. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you, when I stumbled across this idea um, on a podcast, gosh, it was 2020, it was COVID. I started doing this when I felt myself getting Mm -hmm. getting down, you know, below that baseline, Um, and it has it has radically changed my thinking. Um, so I 1000% agree with you. And yeah, if you will share that with me, I'll link it in the show notes for our staff. I think, you know, as a teacher myself um, and as a principal uh, with students that probably have a very low hope coefficient is what I call it, or or, or a low happiness level, um, I think this would be something huge to do in an advisory period with your students every day. Um, yeah. So, okay, man, you
1: okay. give it a- I know, that's the longest one. So I'm going to give you the other two really quick. The second okay. one that also falls in the top five of happiness habits is move your body 30 minutes a day. You know, I just watched the documentary that Jonah Hill did with his yeah. um, therapist called Stoltz. Did you see yeah, that? I did. And did you see where he said 85% of getting yourself out of the darkness, the hopelessness, 85% is getting back into your physical body and your body moving your body sleep and diet those three things make up 85 percent sometimes of well-being so the research says move your body dance stretch yoga run cycle hike i don't care what it is but move your body 30 minutes a day
0: i do and then what's our last one
1: Okay, this last one. What do I want to give you for the last one? There's just so many. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to give you this one. This is just a personal one of mine. I think we have to learn to let go of perfection. I have this saying that, and this is coming from somebody who was a perfectionist. And I felt like I remember leaving the fourth grade doors at the school, the glass doors, walking out every day. And if I had done 99 things right, but I had screwed up this one thing I had talked to a student poorly. I had handled a challenging behavior wrong. I skimped on this lesson and didn't give it. I would do nothing but focus on that one thing. I would feel defeated and I would get the good old ball and chain out. And I would whip myself across the back as I walked to my car and all the way home. Mm -hmm. And I now see that that was useless energy that, that, Why could I not focus on the stuff I did well? And so my quote is, is perfectionism is the lowest standard you can hold yourself to.
0: Perfectionism is the lowest standard you you can can hold hold
1: yourself to. to. And I love it. Yeah, because when, think about how many times we don't act. (laughs) because we know it's not good enough we know it's not perfect enough we know or we don't feel good enough about our you know it steals too much from us yeah when we hold ourselves to that unattainable goal huh.
0: real quick story and then i'm going to close this out i love it number one i love you i i love what you stand for um yeah i'm i am a Ben. so i am a uh kim strobel disciple from now on um <laughs> so my 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 oh,
1: and we got to talk about your mama too so don't forget oh about yeah that.
0: yeah 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 for sure debbie scott hey if you are listening uh miss kim says hi
1: Mm-hmm. hi debbie
0: <laughs> thank you so okay to my listeners uh my mom debbie she is a teacher well she was a teacher she's retired retired now but in a district around where um Kim lives, and she's been harping on me for like two years now. You got to get this lady named Kim on your podcast, blah, blah. And she shares her all the time to me. And, you know, finally, Kim said yes to the Big Ed Idea podcast. So, okay. So this is my story about perfectionism. For a long time, I I lived perfectionism. And it came from a book I read. Um, I was a high school girls soccer coach for about four years. I was an assistant soccer coach. But one of the books I read, it was called The Messiah Method, and it was about a Division Three college in Ohio that had the longest winning streak of NCAA championships. And one of the things that the coach attributed to that was that he put this mindset in their student, in his players, that every time they walked on the field, it was an act of worship. That they were showing their God-given strengths and abilities and so if they didn't do their best or try their best they were you know whatever the word is so i took it to be so my my saying for the longest time is you were made to be awesome but for the longest time i took that to believe i've got to be awesome but now i see it as no i don't have to be awesome i just have to try to be awesome it doesn't mean i'm ever going to get there but if I'm chasing perfection, you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. I do. Yeah. And I love that.
0: Gosh. Okay. So listeners, uh, you have listened to my new best friend and I for quite (laughs) a while tonight. And I just want to, from the bottom of my heart, uh, thank you for sticking around. Thank you for listening to this thing. I got to tell you, this is doing a podcast, um, it started out as just a, a crazy 40th birthday challenge to myself. And I have been able to meet some of the most, you know, the coolest people in education and it, and, it and, and for me, it speaks life that I am able to connect with these people, um, that see things maybe a little differently than other people do. And, um, so Kim, I'm going to speak to you. Thank you. Um, for your work to bring happiness to our teachers Um, because you know I know you know this a happy teacher is going to be a more productive teacher a more productive teacher is going to have a happier classroom a happier classroom is going to translate into achievement and then guess what state assessments are going to go up and then students are going to have better outcomes and so like Kim is saying, focus on the happiness, and the rest will come. That's right, Man, I love it. Okay. So Miss Kim, um, is there any words of wisdom that you would like to leave with our podcast listeners?
1: You know, I think what you just said reminded me, um, I spent a couple of years interviewing students, asking them who their favorite teacher was, but that's not what I really wanted to know. It was the second question that was so important, which was why, why? And I'm going to tell you out of hundreds of answers that I got, their answers always fell into one of two categories. And it, the one I wasn't shocked at. My teacher made me feel loved, and you said that about Jackie Dobie Sablehouse—that you had a teacher who made you feel loved,
0: always, and always. that that made
1: all the difference. And the other one was—and this one shocked me at the time because I wasn't knee deep into the happiness research. My teacher was happy. I can tell he really wants to be there. <laughs>
0: love it, love it, love it, love it. Okay. So to my big Ed ideal listeners, um, I will link uh, Miss Strobel's um, social media stuff so because you gotta you've got to get in connect with her. Um, if you are you know in a corporation or, or a, a business, um, a corp- uh, any type of organization that needs to learn a little bit more about happiness, check out this lady because uh, she's made me happy tonight. Um, and I'm gonna leave us. With the words of my uh, grandfather, John Janoski, Um, he was a six foot six Polak that worked at Alcoa for 40 years. Um, Blue collar, as blue collar could be, but every single time that I would leave his house, he would say, Ryan, until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper. Thank you. And together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.